0: Welcome to Strings Attached, the latest podcast on the PointCast Network. Strings Attached is a new podcast that focuses on demystifying topics that have been labeled taboo and complex. The show connects us to hard truths. Sometimes these truths challenge opinions we have, asking us to question why we believe the things we do. I encourage listeners to remain open-minded and welcome introspection as a path towards liberation and aligned action. Remember, the ability to change is available to us all. During the next four shows, we will be covering a topic some either have deeply misunderstood or very limited knowledge of, the occupation of Palestine. We'll be discussing Palestine before the creation of Israel, America's role in legitimizing Israel's apartheid regime of Palestinians, the impact of occupation on Palestinian food and farmland, and art and fashion as a means of cultural preservation and resistance. Each show will build upon the other, And it is our intention that listeners walk away more knowledgeable and with greater clarity on an issue that is often presented as an equal-sided conflict when the facts may state otherwise. On today's show, we will learn about the historical context that set the stage for the creation of Israel. I'm your host, Sasha Estrella-Jones, and with me on today's show is Tasneem Zahalan. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you so much for coming on. We are super grateful and excited to get into today's show. Tasneem is a Palestinian public health professional born in Jordan and raised in Tuscan. She was involved with Students for Justice in Palestine at the University of Arizona for several years and later worked with Arizona Palestine Solidarity Alliance. She is currently a master's of public health candidate in the Department of Global Health at the University of Washington. So we have so much to talk about. I just want to jump on in there if that's cool with you.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Perfect. So Palestine's history does not begin in 1948 with the creation of Israel. So for listeners who have no clue about what Palestine looked like before then, or even really about the colonial history of Palestine, can you give like a one-on-one, one-on-one, break that down for us a bit?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So I think a lot of people, like you said, have it wrong thinking that it just started in 48, when in fact, this was a project that started much earlier. So prior to the start of the Zionist regime, Palestine was under Ottoman and British rule. And throughout that time, Palestine was comprised of Palestinians and other ethnic and religious religious groups. And this is a very important factor. So this included Palestinian Arabs, included Jews, Christians and Muslims and other ethnic groups that, that all coexisted in Palestine. So in 1917, there was something um, that is referred to as the Balfour Declaration. And so um, the British Empire basically issued this declaration in support for a national home for the Jewish people in Palestine. Um, and it's important to note that Palestine was not the only country being considered as a Jewish home at the time. The founder of Zionism, Theodore Herzl, also proposed looking at British East Africa at the time as a Jewish home, right? So Palestine, and this is something that's super important because it kind of shapes how we see the settler colonial project. It wasn't all about Palestine. It was just about finding a home for a people that didn't have a home. And unfortunately, it landed with Palestine. But like, honestly, if history had a different path, it could have been a completely different country, right? That could have been colonized. Um, so fast forward a bit, 1940, uh, 1948, um, the United Nations voted to partition the land known as Palestine to form a state for the Jews called Israel. So we have World War I happening and we have an influx of Jewish refugees that are coming basically into Palestine. We've got waves and waves and waves of them. And so um, under the support of the British empire, we begin to see the formation of the Israeli state. Um, And so the UN voted to partition this land as Palestine to form this home, for uh, now called Israel. And so the Zionist movement, along with the horrors of World War I, World War II, influenced the creation of the state of Israel in what Jews consider basically their ancestral home, according to their religious scripture in the Torah.
0: With even in that, there is so much to unpack. I personally never knew that East Africa was part of that discussion at all. And I think some of our listeners are like, wait, the UN was in on this too? And Mm -hmm. it's like, yes, indeed, this was a discussion. Can we give a land that's not ours to a group of people who need a home without, how about offering your own land to give?
1: Exactly, right? Let's offer another people's land to these people. And so Israel would not be where it is today without the support of these colonial powers, without the support of um, the United States of Britain, of France, right? These are all colonial colonial entities that have helped shape Israel to be where it's at right now. And we cannot forget that, yeah.
0: A hundred percent. The way that it is so tied into colonialism, when I was doing my own research prepping for the show, I didn't know that it was actually in 1799, Napoleon was the first person who said, okay, yeah, this, this land looks like a great land to give Jews to make their homeland. And we're gonna do it under French protection that then the British followed up on and actualized in the late 19th and early 20th century. Absolutely,
1: and that's known as the Sykes-Picot Agreement, right? So you have the Sykes-Picot Agreement where basically France and Britain were like, yeah, we'll support this. And then you have the Buffalo Declaration where Britain was like, we're definitely gonna support them. Let's send waves of Jews over to Palestine. And as you know it, a settler colonial project has started way before 1948.
0: Yeah, And I want to keep going. You know, we've talked about in this conversation already the impact of world one and world two on needing a home for Jews. And I think a lot of folk, when we talk Palestine and Israel, the first thing that people say is, oh, it's anti-Semitic to be supportive of Palestine. So for people who believe that, what would you say? Is that true? Is it false and why either which way?
1: It's absolutely not anti-Semitic to be pro-Palestine or anti-Zionist. I think, so the Israeli lobby has done, unfortunately, a really good job of of conflating anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism. And we have so many Jewish allies that are anti the Israeli settler colonial project, right? And these are practicing Jews. Zionism at its core is goes against so much of what the Jewish scripture has to say. Being pro a people and pro liberation has nothing to do with being anti-Semitic, right? But this argument is being used time and time again by the Israeli lobby. um, And as a way to just like pronounce that Israel is in fact, uh, a Jewish state when it's not, it's not really a Jewish state. If it was a Jewish state that cared for its Jewish citizens, then you wouldn't see the racism and the xenophobia or just like the racism that exists amongst the tiered, um, the tiered Jews. So you've got Ethiopian Jews that are all the way at the bottom, right, of um, Israel's whole game that are constantly being attacked by Israeli occupation forces. And you've got Mizrahi and Sephardic Jews that are also deemed other because they're not white European Ashkenazi Jews. So this is not an issue of anti-Semitism, it's an issue of a settler white supremacist settler colonial state, and that's what we need to understand.
0: If we look at the history, you know, to teach us and look forward, how does the relationship that Israel has with other colonial powers, France, Britain, the U.S., impact the way it's able to continue to be a colonial settler apartheid regime in Palestine against Palestinians.
1: Absolutely. I mean, with the support and the backing of the United States, basically Israel has the green light to just continue demolishing homes, continue expanding settlements and um, um and displacing and murdering Palestinians. And the reason for this is because the U.S. unfortunately has done it so well, right? The U.S. is a settler colonial project. We are an ongoing settler colonial project here um, that have wiped away years and years of indigenous like land and people and culture. And so the Israel is learning from the United States and with the support of the United States and with the support of entities like cruel and awful British colonial and French colonial powers, they're able to just continue um, committing war crimes and atrocities, essentially. Yeah.
0: Some U.S. citizens, when they hear, you know, Palestine and Israel talked about in the news, they feel so detached from it. So what is that connection between, oh, this is history repeating itself. This is something we should care about.
1: If you actually care about indigenous struggle here, then you should care about Indigenous struggle over there because the same thing is happening. And Indigenous people are being expelled and being murdered for existing, for existing, for being denied basic um, basic human rights. The same thing is happening here with Indigenous folks being pushed out to the reservation, with land being stolen, with... Um, Uh, you know, indigenous folks dying from like high rates of heart disease and diabetes and other non-communicable diseases that are eating at them because of the conditions that they are living under. And that is a direct result of settler colonialism. And we see the same exact thing happening with Palestinians, right? Even under the occupation, Palestinians are deemed second-class citizens. And we can tie that back to Black Americans living in the United States who are living under occupation, right? Let's talk about Harlem. Let's talk about, like, this is ongoing. There are parallels. And these parallels are not... um, they're not like going, um, what am I trying to say? They're not, they are being seen by Palestinians and, and black folks even living here. There is that Palestinian black solidarity, like alliance and, and they work together. I mean, the black Panthers knew about Palestine, Palestinians knew about the black Panther struggle. So these parallels exist. And I think a lot of times people don't want to talk about them because that valid, it's the issue, right?
0: I want to touch back on something you had said because within that, there is so much truth. People don't know the history of United States liberations movements well enough, and also the history of international liberations movements well enough to see the intersection. Okay. And one of the things you had said, we're talking about chronic health and how. The occupation impacts that. I know currently you are a candidate for your master's of public health. Can -hmm. you speak more on some of the research that you are doing and have done on the intersection of occupation and chronic health?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So like you said, I'm getting my master's right now in public health and I'm really interested in looking at the chronic um, effects of war and military occupation on public health. And the reason I want to do this is because I think oftentimes whenever you hear of Palestine and Israel, it's so heavily politicized that people don't want to think of it as a humanitarian issue. When in fact, this this all is impacting the health of Palestinians generational health, right? There is generational trauma that it has created. And we need to talk about that because that is a way in which we can actually humanize these people and humanize the struggle that they're going through. So, um, before i jump into that maybe i can give a little context of like uh how how land has been taken away from palestine and the three areas that are current that currently exist and then because that influences sure um, i think that that would
0: be that's definitely cool i think it would be immensely helpful for our listeners who are coming in like an intro one-on-one class
1: absolutely okay so then you have historic palestine right which existed pre the balfour declaration pre um british mandate and then in 1948 you have the Nakba, which is what Palestinian refers Palestinian referred to, or the catastrophe, and um, basically this is when Zionist forces um, expelled uh, at least seven hundred and fifty thousand Palestinians who became refugees, and thirteen thousand Palestinians were killed in nineteen forty eight. Over five hundred villages were depopulated and destroyed, including where my parents and grandparents are from. Um, two dozen massacres, 4 million acres of land confiscated, and only 22% of historic Palestine was left for Palestinians. And this is comprised of the West Bank and Gaza Strip. And then Jerusalem was recognized under international law. So this was 1948. Fast forward a few years, you have 1967, um, Six-Day War. And this is This war was when Israel went to war with Palestine's neighboring uh, Arab countries and celebrated a military victory, which allowed them to seize even more land. Um, So they were able to seize the West Bank, Gaza. uh, They were able to seize Golan Heights from Syria um, and much more. And so this was a huge victory for Israel and. After that, that led to about 7.2 million Palestinian refugees worldwide. Um, and so the majority of Palestinian refugees live not really far from their home. So a lot of refugees in Gaza, a lot of refugees th- across Palestine. I know my father, he is from Lid in 1948. In 1967, Um the Seven seven Day, Six Day War broke out and they became refugees and had to relocate to Nablus. So a lot of internally displaced persons is how we refer to them. And then a lot of refugees outside of uh, Palestine. Um, And actually more than half of the refugee population currently lives in Jordan. And then approximately 37% of the refugees live in the West Bank and Gaza Strip. Um, So a lot of internally displaced people, a lot of refugees out of the Six Day War. And then you have 1995, which was the Oslo Accords. And this is basically was uh, like a secret agreement between Israel and Palestine Liberation Organization in which the PLO recognized Israel's legitimacy and then Israel recognized PLO. And um, this resulted in the occupied, in the occupied West Bank um, being divided into three areas, A, B and C. And so Area A is a Palestine controlled area. Uh, area b was joint controlled by israel and palestine and then area c is completely under israeli control and so this is just like really really me condensing the history of settler right occupation and how land is being stolen the reason i bring this up is because it really influences how public health operates under these different areas and one thing i want to focus on is gaza specifically. So Gaza has been under a water, air, and land blockade since I think like 2005 or six or seven that was supposed to be temporary, but has not been temporary. And what this blockade means is that Palestinians living in Gaza, majority of whom are refugees, by the way, there are over 2 million people living in such a tight space. Gaza is tiny, 2 million people, densely packed. And Gaza is one of the places that is continuously targeted by Israel. It is just completely devastated. So Gaza's entire infrastructure is completely devastated. Its health system is completely devastated. It's one of the most densely populated areas in the world and has a lot of internally displaced persons and refugees. Right. So I told you it counts for like over 80 percent of its population. Um, And so There are we've seen a number of cases in which there are sick Palestinians living in Gaza who need permits to seek care to leave Gaza. But these permits are continuously denied by the Israeli state. And actually, I remember reading a report and I want to pull up the statistics right here. Um. So it was a study in the Plus One Journal found that the approval rate for cancer patient permits to leave Gaza to access adequate care dropped 40% from 2012 to 2017, ultimately increasing the mortality rate amongst patients whose permits were denied. Basically, Israel year and year again is denying more and more, um, More and more permits for Palestinians to seek care to go to the West Bank. They're basically telling them, no, we don't want you to get care.
0: Die. Just die. They're killing them. And it goes documented. There is still the silence around it, which is why I think the work you're doing is so, so essential and important and must be highlighted. It is a humanitarian issue
1: period. It is a healthcare issue, period. 100%. Like 100%. It is literally medical apartheid, which exists within Palestine. Like there's no other way to say it. It is medical apartheid where a certain people are allowed to live healthy and have, you know, an overall really good well-being while others living just miles away are are not giving the same. They're not given the same opportunity, right? Again, these exist here with with folks who are on like Medicaid versus people on private insurance, right? You don't get the same quality of care, and there are so many parallels when we talk about this. But it is so apparent in occupied Palestinian territories where Palestinians are left to t- to die. They live with you know, I don't even want to see PTSD because it's not post-traumatic. They're continuously living in a state of trauma. They were born into war and this is all they know. And there is not enough resources to seek care you know especially when mobility is restricted especially when you have checkpoints in the west bank when you can't even leave gaza to go seek care what are you expected to do you're left to die unfortunately like that is literally the reality of so many palestinians and if it's not that it's you dying from stress-induced non-communicable diseases you have high blood pressure you have high cholesterol you have who knows what like it is literally settler colonialism kills you. And if it doesn't kill you, it's going to kill your grandchildren. It's going to kill your father, your grandfather. That is what happens. That is what we're seeing here um, on indigenous land. And that's what we're going to be seeing in Palestine.
0: I don't even know how to close after this, because the truth of the matter is all the reasons you said are why everyone around the world, not just those that are part of the diaspora, eyes have to be on what's going on In Palestine under the illegal, let me be very clear, illegal occupation of Israel. I want to say thanks so much, Tasneem, for all the wisdom and knowledge you have brought to the show. Mm -hmm. Thank you. We are so grateful.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to the series coming out.
0: I'd also like to give a special thanks to Hadil Michel and Zainab Tawil, to whom this series would not be possible without. Their input, ideas, feedback, and support were paramount in putting together a series on Palestine anchored in truth and storytelling. Hadil and Zainab are two of the proudest Palestinians I know, and I pray all Palestinians live to see the day their motherland, Palestine, is free. I want to also say thank you to our listeners for your participation. We want to encourage listeners to continue this discussion through our social media pages on Facebook and Instagram. This podcast has been brought to you by PointCast News and ELAC Productions, a studio for podcasters, musicians, and anyone who has something to say. To listen to any of our podcasts, visit us at pointcast.news or visit us at Apple Podcasts. Also, be sure to like and follow us on social media pages at Facebook and Instagram. Join us next time. We'll continue this discussion looking more at America's unique role in legitimizing Israel. Until then, be blessed and take care.